Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. This week, I talked with Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor about their new game, Heart. Heart is a follow-up to Spire, which, if you aren't familiar with, you can listen to an earlier episode where we chat about that game. You might want to, since we refer back to it a bit, but you certainly don't have to. Heart is a sequel to Spire, and geographically, it's located directly beneath it. You don't need Spire to play Heart, but it's definitely playable as a continuation or a progression of your Spire story. Anyway, if you thought Spire was strange and dark at all, then Heart comes in and distills that, condenses it into this terrifying, horrific underworld that looks at the bad idea that is dungeon crawling, and how our relationship with our own bodies can be used against us. Fun! Grant and Chris are always a delight, so I'll let them take it from here. Let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. Joining me this week, I've got returning guests, Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. Uh, they were here once before to talk about the Spire, but we're not going to do that this week. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hey, I'm glad that you both made it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched that you came back. Uh, <laughs> so, so last time we talked about the Spire. Um, this time we're talking about a new game that is sort of tangentially related to the Spire, right? It is directly beneath. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yes, geographic bounce, correct. Uh, cool. So, uh, for those folks who didn't listen to the first episode, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves a little bit? Some things that you've worked on, like the Spire or other things, uh, or places that heroes might know you from? Sure. Uh, my name is Grant Howitt. I have written too many role-playing games. Most of them are around one page long. And most of them I've done with Chris. So uh, the, the 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 things that we have worked on are the same things. But you might have heard of Goblin Quest, One Last Job, Jason Statham's Big Vacation, <laughs> yes. really our, our most seminal and uh, educational work. Um, things like Honey Heist as well. You oh, yeah. Honey oh, yeah. Heist. Honey Heist. That's that your high profile. We know the, that one. One, the one indie RPG. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it comes. There comes a time in every podcast's life where it has to decide to play an indie RPG, and then they play Honey yep. Heist, and they yep. can credit me if they want. Mm-hmm. It's the Mac- law. Mac- you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Chris, 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 who are you? I'm I'm Chris Taylor. Uh, I wrote some of the one page RPGs with Grant, mm-hmm. mainly emotional support. There, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Keeping them alive whilst pumping them out. Um, I also did Unbound, Spire, and various attachments to Spire, and now Heart. I like the way you dress me as a sort of brood mother. And you, you sort, of, sort of, you're emotionally supporting me and rubbing my back while one page RPGs slop out. Uh, before we jump into talking about Heart, I think it's been about two years or so since we talked about Spire, right? Mm. Gosh, yes, it has been. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, right? Time. It's wild. It's gross. It's awful. I, I would love to check in a little bit and see how, because I think it was even before the campaign launch that we talked, like, how how did that go for y'all? Bonkers, honestly. Yeah, absurdly well. So, like, it was stressful, don't get me wrong, but, but post that Kickstarter, uh, the game design is now my job. Mm. Yeah, like that 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 Kickstarter and sort of the I don't use the word notoriety, uh, but <laughs> like yeah, yeah, but like people knowing about our games and things like that has actually enabled us to do this for full time. Like this is our employment now. That's awesome. Um, and 
That's amazing. <laughs> it's really exciting. And like, we are currently at work. Like, we're being paid for this, which is ridiculous. Mm. But the, uh, I think, I think the biggest thing which we, which we realized after, after Spire had uh, started, cause they, uh, we, we didn't really have Discord as a, as a thing. Yeah. Before, that's blown uh, up. Before that. So D- Discord's be- become this really good place to have communities, like especially around role playing or especially around like if, if you've got something you're interested in and want to chat about it, mm-hmm. it's really good for that. And so we set up a Spire Discord and people started making their own content. They're like, we have, we have this really, this really huge community document, which is a load of random tables, and like a couple of extra classes that people have written and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this really supportive space, people would come in and say, oh, I've got some ideas for a campaign. Uh, I need some help. And then someone else will come and help. And we have a community now. That's amazing. Like, built up around, built up around the fiction. Like Chris is our, basically our community manager. It's, it's it's pretty fun being able to like talk to people about about their games, yeah, and not not just like on a sort of oh no it's a it's a plus one you had there like mm-hmm. the rules corrections, but like yes that is a great idea you should make your game about that yeah <laughs> like like they really get into the the lore of it it sounds like like how very much so. yeah, yeah and the, the the best part is that because spy is so sort of open in its lore it allows mm-hmm. interpretations you get these weird sort of arguments but they don't have a lot at stake. Like, no, I think it's this thing. I think it's this thing. Actually, those are both good ideas. Let's use them both. And you get a lot of people building off of each other's ideas, and it's great fun. It's nice rocking up like King Solomon and being like, you're all right. Cut the spire in half. So much power. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is is having that community, did that encourage you to keep working in the realm of the spire? Do you think you would 100%. have otherwise? Oh, okay, yeah. That's very Yeah, cool. no, we, we, we probably would have done anyway because it's something we enjoy. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we had so many people going, I love this, can you do more? Yeah. Which is like, absolutely. Yeah, sure, you've got money, right? Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> Please pay for food. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do anything. Uh, so, um, like, so, for, so, so Hart, um, was originally envisaged as like, what if we could do an OSR style thing using the systems, uh, the mechanics behind Spire? Okay. And we worked on that for a while, and then Chris had the brilliant idea, why don't we set it in the heart, and that way we can sort of expand the setting a little bit and play around with that. Yeah. And so we went like we, we went for that, and I think that was that was the moment when we were like, yes, okay, we can do this. This is our next thing. It was very exciting. Excellent. Yeah, so, so Chris, the heart is a place in the Spire. If anybody who has the Spire book at home can, can read all about the heart, it, it exists on the maps, it exists in the lore. What drew you to exploring that particular part of the spire versus anywhere else so the interesting thing about the heart as like a place to set a game is it's so like the the rules of reality are so malleable in that location Mm -hmm. um and we didn't we intentionally did not define it very carefully inspired it's a very vague concept it's just this like whirlpool of unreality at the very base of spire Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, it's a way to have weirdness in Spire games. And we thought, well, why don't we just like dive face, face first into that weirdness <laughs> and kind of muck about like a truffle pig? <laughs> just full weird. Yeah. So you, you can have like dungeons that are made up entirely of meat and teeth or a city or whatever you want down there. We've got forests down just, there. Yeah. You can just go completely nuts with your, with your dungeon crawls and, all the different locations and monsters and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's described as like uh, completely unmappable in some part of this uh, of the book of the first book, which is yeah. and then goes on to some very uh, horrifying descriptions of of things that could exist down there. Which, which I is will fantastic. say mm. that a heart does come with rules for mapping it. 
So yes, I, <laughs> I saw that, and then I yeah, and then I I saw the oh, it's unmappable, and I went, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. tell me more. Yeah, so uh, all right, boys. <laughs> interestingly, gotcha. the map you get is a blank map. Yeah. Like there's nothing on it. There's no locations on it. Nothing's fixed. Mm-hmm. Your rubes. Um, <laughs> and as and as you go through the heart, you build the map yourself. Yeah. Um, and there's enough space on the map, hopefully, as long as we get the right pictures through, um, to do like several campaigns on the same map, Ooh. so they can interlink and you can use past games information. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and it let it lets you kind of show your version your vision yeah. of the heart which is completely different to somebody else's oh absolutely one of the things we noticed with spire was that people were making their own versions of spire and i think that's mm. true of any role-playing game any sort of setting especially with one um with as loose a canon as spire mm-hmm. is that people are going to make their own versions and that that version is as canonical as ours to their group and we, when we were writing Heart, we were looking at it and we were like, well, we, we want to encourage that because that's really exciting when you get to make your own version of something, like your own spin on things. Mm-hmm. And so we decided that the Heart is <sighs> intelligent, Chris, would you say? <laughs> I, th- I think the word is sentient. Sentient. It, like, it, it has, it has some problem solving ability. It mm-hmm. wants a thing. It has time, it has meat, and it has stone, and it can make things. And the idea being that when you walk into the heart, when you delve and start pushing around in places that aren't very well established, the heart itself is building the world around you to give you what you want, which is precisely what the GM's doing. So we have, we have a a metafictional excuse for really on the nose storytelling. But because, (laughs) because, because like, because you can get a bit coy with it and you can be sort of, oh, players, perhaps you'll find my magical realm if you go down the left hand part. It's like, Mm -hmm. come on, man. We all came here to, we all came here to hear a story. Tell us a story. Yeah. And so we've, we've tried to bake as much of, as much of that into the game's fiction as we can. Excellent. Heart then is, is definitely different from the Spire in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. but what, oh, absolutely. What type of experience are you hoping that players get from it? versus what they got from the Spire. So Spire at its heart is a is a social game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about social manipulation and revolution and racial inequality and all of these social problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, in heart, that is all wiped away. Um, everybody oh. is essentially in hell. <laughs> so it doesn't matter who you are anymore. Like um, in one of the things we said about Spire is we'd never make playable Elphir. Right. Uh, because we don't want you playing as oppressors. Mm-hmm. That's not cool. Um, but in hearts, you can play as the Elphir because if they're in the heart, they're just as down on their luck as everybody else. Everybody's at the same level. Um, so it becomes less about the, the social strata of games, um, and more about the sort of visceral internal horrors of a game. One of the, uh, so we, we, we had classes inspire and that was one of the things I was most proud of and, and what people seemed to really pick up on was how weird and different they were. And I was quite happy with that. And so we've done something similar. We have, but we have a bunch of weird classes as well. Uh, but we've also got something called callings. And so callings are the other half of your character aside from the class mm-hmm. and callings are why on earth you've decided to go down into dungeon hell. Uh, because like, it's like dungeon crawling. We kind of want to examine this. Not a sensible decision, really. No, so it's it's a bad idea, and so we wanted to look at that and be like, okay, so how are we going to program these weirdos into like how how are we going to make people behave in this really strange way? And we looked at the leveling up um, 
the way the, the way that leveling up, the way that character advancement works in Spire, which is when you change the city, when you make a big impact, your character gets an advance. And we we like that it was expressly tied to something narrative rather than when you you know kill the goblins or when the GM decides or what have you. And so with the callings, we have uh, you get you get a little ability which goes in there, and you get some you, you get some stuff which helps define your character. Mm-hmm. You also get this big list of what we call beats, and beats are. I don't like using the word achievements, but they're basically like Xbox achievements. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably the best way we they're can put prompted them. prompted scenes for advancement. Ah, yes. Yes. There's, 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 there's scene framing cues. And they, they, so, so like one of them might be, uh, take major blood fallout, which means like your arm's coming off or something. Oh. And one of them, uh, one of them might be, um, make a friend. And, uh, we were doing, uh, one of the ones we were, we were writing up recently, we were expanding them recently. One of them was, uh, kick someone, brackets, who really deserves it, off a tall building. Good, good, I like it. The whole point is that it reinforces the kind of archetype of the calling. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if your, um, if your calling is enlightenment, you're searching for something, some incredible knowledge, something that can help you in some way. Something impossible something impossible like you want to bring back you want to bring your 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 dead spouse back to life like normally in a game that's impossible mm-hmm. so it's it's it becomes your calling um and burning down a safe place to get access to more information is one of their beats it's like how far are you willing to go for this information Ooh. and when you when you do these things, you pick a you pick a, a, a requisite ability or ability of the requisite level from your class, and then carry on. But uh, at the end of every session or the beginning, basically in downtime, you announce to the GM what your what your beats are, what your uh, what your goals are for this mm. session. That's kind of the, yeah. these are out of character goals for your character. And because uh, I don't know how much we talked about it in the last episode, but Chris and I hate planning for games. Yes, <laughs> um, same. What, Love writing games. Can't get enough of it. But uh, I don't. I, I don't want to write for one specific session. So with with the combina- like with with these with these beats, hopefully you can sit down and you can say to your players, "Well, what do you want? What do you want to do today?" And then yeah. you can do it for them. And then and there's kind of a story ricocheting around in the middle of that as everyone goes mad and dies. Yeah, and if you if you look at it like. If as you're coming to it as a GM, at the beginning of every session, you're going to have eight scenes that people want to see, which is more than enough to fill up a session, okay. even if you just work off those. You don't have to use all of them. You can do one from each person, do what mm. you want. But it gives you enough fodder to just go, oh, yeah, I know what's happening now. Yeah, you take those, match them up with the factions and the and the, lands, the landmarks that you like. And uh, yeah, go for it. It's fun. I, I like that a lot as someone who does not enjoy planning for games. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really boring. It's just right. so easy. It is. But, so and then much. this way too, you're giving them exactly what they want and they're, you know, your players are invested. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful cheat. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and you convince them you did the work. Uh-huh. Everyone, player, stop listening to this episode. Um, <laughs> no, wait, don't. wait, 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 wait. Go to the Kickstarter and uh, then stop listening. To this yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Come back in twenty minutes when we're done. Um, <laughs> so you you actually mentioned um, uh, death. How how likely is character death, and how do you handle that? Mm. Mm. Um, character death is technically very unlikely. Mm. Um, so the way it works is we've got, uh, three sort of tiers of fallout. We've got minor fallout, which is like, you've lost some teeth, you're bleeding, you're going a bit mad. 
Then we've got major fallout, which is your arms off. You have gone mad. And then critical fallout, which is the end of a character. So that is death. Um, it could also be you just going crazy and running off into the darkness. Could be any one of a hundred things. Uh, you, sort of, you start a cult. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Um, it's like a, it's like a story end to your character. So it doesn't have to be death, but in effect, it is the same thing. You you lose access to the character. Okay. Um, and what you can do is you can upgrade fallouts if you want to. So this it's always a dialogue between the GM and the player. Mm-hmm. So two minor fallouts can become a major fallout, and two major fallouts can become a critical fallout. But at no point do you actually have to upgrade those major fallouts to a critical. Mm. And as part of the game, you only ever suffer minor and major. I will say, every time a player character has died in one of my games, their player has been so excited for it to happen. <laughs> oh, 100%. There's something about heart which makes you long for death. <laughs> but a good <laughs> death. Yeah. But there's no moment where you're just fighting something random mm. that crits you and kills you. Mm. That is impossible. It cannot occur. It can okay. take your arms off and make you largely useless, yeah. but it's not going to take your character out. We really okay. wanted to examine the the principles of so like hit points. We're not very excited about hit points. Um, it's, it's it's popular. It's popular to rag on them and like they do a job. They're fine. They're not. They're not what I want out of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, we wanted to look at um, rather than having uh, like a punishment for misfortune, almost like a reward. Uh, the same way we did with Spire, and so when you when you go and do when you go and do in inverted commas stupid things, uh, you win stupid prizes, and those prizes gradually build up. So like you might be tired and then exhausted and then um, just dead in an in, in an attic somewhere, <laughs> or the, the the one about the cult, um, the so 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 the minor fallout. So uh, echo is the resistance, which mm-hmm. is how much your body and mind are changing in reaction to coming into the uh, into this parasite reality. And the first one you get, the minor fallout, is this weird guy or a dog is following you around because they're convinced that you're an emissary of the heart. And then the major one is that he brings his friends, and so there's five or six of them following you around now, like going through your rubbish. <laughs> and the critical one is either you fall you fall for their hype and start a new haven somewhere in the Undercity, <laughs> or they kill you for being a false prophet. Pick one. Good. Both excellent. <laughs> And there's there's a lot of like we wanted to try and get these fun sort of ongoing narratives the same way that you'd have um, abilities upgrading in that way we wanted them to be sort of bad abilities that you ha- that you're forced to have but there's always uh, hopefully there's, there's some fun story behind them yeah it sounds like there definitely can be mm. um, and so we've we've made reference a lot to things like arms falling off uh, and <laughs> when talking about heart uh, body horror comes up in the description a lot um, what why? How? <laughs> Discuss. It's the easiest form of horror. Everyone's got a body. Yeah, that's true. And pretty much no one likes it when you put fingers in their mouth. No. So it's, it's just like if you put something in your player's ears, eyes, and mouth, mm-hmm. um, instant disgust. Very easy. That's, that's my little GM tip to you. There. Things burrowing under the skin, Always things like burn. that. Mm-hmm. Just nasty. I, th- I think we wanted to talk about the, the effect on because we're, we're sort of we're, we're veering around colonialism a little bit as well and like the effect of colonizing on on the colonizer and mm-hmm. like how it's not how it's not possible in a way and how it's like it's not a like we wanted to underline the fact that your actions in the heart are not noble yeah like you are technically invasive mm. oh okay you are you are invading something else's land mm-hmm. 
in a, in a way. So what the heart's doing is it's doing that back to you um, in the only way it knows how, which is by literally invading you. Um, okay. You start to get corruptions. You you know, like it's it's fairly easy to get antlers. Um, as as you start like you physically change Um, and also body horror is something that's not done enough in rpgs to my mind (laughs) because i i really like it as a as a gaming concept because firstly it's an easy way to squick out players Mm -hmm. which is always good for getting a reaction um but also it's a it's a challenge to deal with yeah like it's difficult in in game terms to get rid of Mm -hmm. and as a as a DM and players, it's an interesting, if challenging, area to to to, to interact with and to to have that conversation about. Yeah, um, and it's it's nice to have to be able to do that in a safe space. It's like a, in the same way that games like Delta Green deal with like making hard decisions mm-hmm. in a safe environment. Mm. Similar sort of thing. It's an interesting palate cleanser as well. It's like a sorbet. Because, <laughs> because, like, so, so, body horror doesn't really require a lot of build up. Mm-hmm. You can be, you can make something scary instantly. I mean, like, you can hint at some things beforehand, and then have them. Oh, they're coming out of your arms. Whatever, cool. Yeah. But you can, like, you can, you can throw together some pretty grim things very quickly on the spur of the moment with body mm-hmm. horror. And um, one of the things, because heart is uh, essence horror game. Uh, during a horror game, people are going to make jokes. People are going to get nervous. People are going to get anxious. And so, as we as we talk and as we describe the situation, because this is grim and ridiculous, people are going to make jokes. Yeah. And so, rather than stopping them trying to rather than stopping them trying to relax and try to have fun, you let them make the jokes, mm-hmm. and then you're like, "Cool, okay." The deer grows this massive length of bone out of his mouth, which pushes and scrapes down between your shoulder blades. And that's instantly yeah. horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's great, and and like, and it's also kind of ridiculous because the deer's like, Arr. it's <laughs> it's a it's a lovely mix. Yeah, how um we, we talked about how this is how this is challenging, how this is difficult both for players and and DMs and all of that. Um, how as writers of the game do you? help players and and game runners navigate this because i feel like some of the some of the examples get perilously close to oh well that's someone who's lost an arm that's just a disability like as opposed mm. to being body horror so mm. this is this is a treacherous area i feel like to to navigate how do you how do you do that how do you help other people do that how do you feel about that one of the things which we're really keen to encourage is a separation between player and character mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's a that you don't get interesting stories when people are too closely attached to their characters or when they view their characters as them. Mm-hmm. I think that there isn't there's obviously there's an element of needing to view a character as you so you can embody it and talk properly and it's it's never really fun having someone talk in the third person all the time. Mm-hmm. But by establishing that distance, I think it gives you the uh, the capacity to be like, oh, I'm going to make these decisions with my character. I'm intrigued to see how my character can change and grow and or maybe grow you know extra arms or what have you in terms of in in terms of tackling this i think that giving players the giving players and gms the license to make it happen the fallout system everything that happens to the players is fundamentally the it happens to the characters is fundamentally the player's fault uh Mm -hmm. there are no mechanics in place for the gm to say right okay i'm in a bad mood today your your arm's going to grow um horrible kindness legs and walk away that has to come from something which the player has done. And I think that there's, there's an element of back and forth in that, in giving people license 
to do these rather than feeling that they're, that, that someone's overstepping a mark. It's also, there's that element I mentioned earlier of if it's a safe space to examine stuff in, mm-hmm. um, in a way that it's very difficult for me as a person to understand the concept of somebody who only has one arm, mm-hmm. like in their daily life and how and the troubles they face. But this gives you a safe space to actually like examine that and go, actually, wow, this is a huge difference to a character. Yeah. Rather than like, like there's no, there's no point where an arm being off is minus four. Yeah. Like it's not a, there's not a mechanical cool. issue with that. It's all about role playing and all about the, the situations that you face and how you face them now with this, with this change to you and this change to your environment and how you see it. Okay. In the source book Strata, so we, uh, so we, we, we put together a source book for Strata, for Spire called Strata, uh, which has a load of different scenarios by different authors. And, uh, Lawrence Phillips, uh, who is someone who suffers from disability, he wrote a, uh, he wrote a scenario where you play disabled characters, vulnerable people, um, mm. who are taken advantage of by the ministry. Mm. And it's about navigating, it's about sort of navigating between, between different groups while you're, while you're trying to also get over your disability. And it has, like, I think we've got two or three pages in there about, Hey, here's how you play characters with a disability. Here's how it works from a disabled person. Here's like, it's not, it's not like, Oh, you're minus five foot speed or whatever. It's like, no, like you can do everything an able-bodied person can do, but it's much harder. And so it takes more out of you. Yeah. And so with the stress system, we have quite a good way of representing like getting across town, for example, would be, wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a role to an able-bodied person, but for someone who is, uh, suffers from chronic fatigue or who has difficulty, uh, has mobility issues. At that point, you're rolling, uh, to, you're rolling to get across town. And then because we have the resistance system in place, you can be like, cool. Well, that's D6 stress to your money stack because you had to pay for a taxi or sorry, yeah. you decided to pay for a taxi and it models it in quite an organic way as opposed to simply being a debuff. Yeah. yeah, it's not like, well, congratulations, you failed to do this because you've got a disability. Mm. It's like, like, I mean, I, I suffer from chronic fatigue mm-hmm. and there's an element of, wow, okay, today I managed to do this. This was cool. Yeah. And then there's other days where it's like, okay, that took out like 10 times more energy mm-hmm. than I, than I thought it was going to. And that's kind of the partial success of, of the resistance system. So you, you, you succeed, yeah. but it takes something from you to do, to succeed. And we've got yeah. a lot of different places we can put that something. Cool. Thank you. It sounds like it sounds like you guys have thought a lot about this. <laughs> it does sound like that, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> and I didn't know about that supplement. I'm definitely going to take a look at that. Thank you. Oh, it's, 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 it's really worth it. There's um, not not necessarily from the fact that somebody would be buying my books, <laughs> um, but the fact that all the writers in there look at Spire from a completely different angle yeah. to all the others. So, for instance, Helen Gould did a sort of nightmarish Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it, it comes from kind of real experiences of, like, the, the oppressed yeah. being the waiting staff in the houses of their oppressors. Mm-hmm. Like, these are people who shape their oppressors. Yeah. Like they're given this enormous power and expected not to use it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and everybody's looking at it from a, from a different angle at a different thing. And it's, it's so clever what people have done with it. Yeah. It's really exciting. It was really, it was, it was really great. Cause like, I think about half the writers we hired hadn't done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. We put out an open call for writers and we were like, yeah. okay, you've got, uh, you've got a hundred words, give us a pitch. Um, and if you've got a portfolio, show it to us. 
And uh, a lot of people who had portfolios like didn't understand Spire or it wasn't a, it wasn't an exciting enough pitch. But a lot of people who'd never written anything aside from academic papers, yeah. uh, this woman called Pauline Chan, who'd only ever done academic papers before. And she had this really cool idea for your slums being demolished. Stop it. Ooh. And it's. And it's, it's, it's called, it's, it's called Light in the Dirt. And it's this, it's this, it's this fantastic, it, the, the whole game takes place inside this one apartment block with like nine people living in it. And it's all about like, like trying to keep health inspectors out and trying to fight on. It's like, and it's, and it's ultimately doomed. It's oh this, God. it's this really, it's this really powerful story. Um, and, and yeah. every character in it is so relatable. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's some characters just referred to as the aunties. Oh, yeah. And I love them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're actually incredibly powerful movers and shakers. Which oh, I believe it. I've met yeah. some aunties in my time. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's lovely. That's so, yeah, buy a book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we will have links in the show notes. Um, oh. Why don't we talk a little bit about the, the kinds of folks who go into the heart? Who, who are these characters, possibly? Do you want to take the lead on this one, Chris? I was about to say, do you want me to just list them? Um, <laughs> so, we've got. We've got the callings to start with, mm-hmm. which is like the reason you are down here. But the classes are how you how you do that, what your affiliations are, why you haven't died, yeah, why you haven't died yet. Um, so there's classes like the the kind of the iconic um, one for us for heart is the hound. So the hound um, is an offshoot of the original military unit that was sent down when when the Elphir first discovered the heart. Mm-hmm. They first started tunneling down here. And they were sent down to pacify it. You know, get rid of all those dangerous things. We want to use that for land. Um and this unit was essentially obliterated. Um there were a load of survivors who fled um and then they set up a, an informal police force. They they've become sheriffs now. Mm-hmm. Um but there's no like consistent law. So the hounds just try and do good. Or try and really bad. Try, they, they, they try. They try and meet out what they think is justice. Okay. But the big issue is that to become a hound, you only necessarily all you have to do is have a hound's badge. So a couple of hounds that are walking around have just shot a hound and taken their badge and are now claiming to be them. Oh, it looked similar enough. Yeah. And if, um, one of the uh, the the hound we have in the um in the example in the quick start mm-hmm. um uh, stole the badge off someone and has has just been sort of pretending uh, as, as, as far as they can. Uh, and it's like for the hands, we drew heavily on the idea of the bent copper with a heart, with a heart of gold, mm. I think is a really weird combination for someone who, someone who he's just trying to do right by his manner. <laughs> that sort of thing. That sort of Ray Winston. Um, yeah. They're like, fairly territorial. Yeah. Um, look and like really care about a select group of people and will do anything for that community. Mm. But maybe not care so much about the community next over. Yeah. And how does that sit with with you as a person with your moral code? Mm-hmm. Mm. But then we want to talk about like the the fruitlessness, I think, of trying to impose order in uh, in a place which is actively resisting it. Yeah. Hmm. Which is which is kind of fun, and like they like they they can start imposing law, they can start like decreeing that people are guilty of a crime, mm-hmm. and then become better at attacking those people and like you I think you can upgrade to the point where you don't need evidence to do it and that's right. uh that's yeah and that's you know we're, we're asking the difficult yeah. questions yeah <laughs> we've got um let's see who else we've got we've got vermissian knights who are sort of mission is this grand failed uh mass transit network and in the attempt to make it go faster the architects punctured the heart itself 
And so now it, it all got full of ghosts and demons and stuff. It's horrible. And it's like, there's a load of like spare realities sort of wadded away in there. And the main reason we had it is so we could have weirdness come out of any part of the spire we wanted. Perfect. From, from a, from, from a, from a writing perspective. But it's this, it's this massive underground nightmare train zone. And so the Vermissian knights are, they are the protectors of this. They sort of, they wander up and down and they protect travelers. They protect the researchers who go mm. there. Uh, they wear armor made up of leftover bits of train. Good. They have one of, one of their weapons coffee. is the door of a train. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I like and like that. we, when we were writing these classes, we were very much like, in one hand, how can we evolve the ideas of Spire? So this isn't just, this isn't just a spy. It doesn't feel like a Spire fan product and it isn't, and that you don't need Spire to play this. It's not like a supplement, mm-hmm. uh, but also what looks cool? What feels cool? What are some cool <laughs> ideas we can have? And I think mm. at the very bottom of that, at the, like the lowest of the rung was like, what's an optimal party composition? Cause we do not have that. That is yeah, not a, it's not a, not something which we've really factored <laughs> in. Um, yeah. Because I think, like, and like, I think we want people to make their own mistakes, and like, mm-hmm. and like, if, if if you like, if you pick a balanced party, yeah, whatever. I don't want to see a balanced party. <laughs> I want to see this wildly unbalanced party who's very, very good at two things. Yep. And- so, for instance, in playtesting, um, we got a lot of reports back of different group compositions, but my personal favourite was four junk mages. <laughs> 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 uh, they just people pick the same class, and a junk mage is using junk in very in two very different ways first off that they they cobble together magic they take the scraps of magic from everybody else mm. and junk to also mean like drugs and addiction okay they are essentially chemically addicted to the magic they do Ooh. they link themselves to a patron in the same way that they do uh, the warlocks in Dungeons dragons might yeah. um but rather than like asking for powers meekly they just sort of stick a syringe in them draw out some god stuff and then put it into their veins which is kind of neat. So you can have multiple patrons and you're basically siphoning gas out of their fuel tanks and really hoping they don't notice, which is fun. And, and, like they're, and they're struggling with this balance of being a person and going full mad from being full of God stuff. I will say all of their high level advances is the thing notices. I just realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The thing suddenly finds out that you're doing this and um, it's not fun. I want to have a quick chat about Zenith level advances as well. Oh yes, that's very uh, important. So, uh, so, uh, we, we used to have, uh, low, medium and high, and now we have minor, major and zenith. Mm. And zenith are much harder to unlock. Um, and most of them, A, give you the capacity to do something huge and world changing, and B, kill you. Good. They are, they are the end of your character. Yeah. Uh, because- like the final, the final ability you'll get with your character kills you. It's, I love it. It's great. Because, because, because you're done now. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't a story about hugely powerful people romping around it. Those are the NPCs. We're not yeah. interested in that. So, so the Vermissian Knight, uh, one of their Zenith abilities is you get the, you get the capacity to summon the last train, which is the one functional train in the Vermissian network, uh, which is, it's kind of a, it, it doesn't ever stop. Uh, and like they, like steering it is kind of a, kind of a vague, uh, weird pseudo mystical process. And you summon it to your position and it either runs you over or you get overloaded, but it just demolishes anything you point it at. And then, and then make a new character go. And like, like, and like most of the Zenith abilities are the equivalent of a wish spell in D&D. Mm. But like a specific wish spell for that character's plot line. Um, and as we know, wish spells have never been clean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a bad, a bad thing for the wisher. Um, so you get, you get 
semi-mystical cosmic power for about 10 minutes. Yeah, three sessions of tops. Yeah. You can... Uh, well, let's just knock through the other classes quickly. Uh, we've got the Incarnadine, who are clerics of trafficking. The, the, imagine the, somebody following the god of predatory capitalism. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. kind of fun. Um, uh, and, yeah, they get some nasty powers. I, I do want to say as well, just describing it this way, it makes it sound that we're being quite edgy. And I want to stress that uh, we're really trying not to be. Yeah. <laughs> we are fighting the edge. We're fighting the edge. We we, we read we read cult. <laughs> and uh, cult is oh, it's such a shame about cult. Oh, it could have been so good. It's mm-hmm. an absolutely beautiful book, and the like the 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 concept of cult that there's that there's this demiurge that there's these sort of angels and demons fighting one another, and they're all horrible, and you're caught in the middle. Such a cool idea. And then you, it's got so much edge you could shave with it. It's terrible. <laughs> I think one thing which we tried to do is at no point do we refer to people as sheeple. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we, Chris made me cut out all those references. <laughs> Thousands Thank of them every yeah. page. <laughs> it was no other words. It, it was snuck into the background. <laughs> and um, I think well, one one thing we should try and do is talk about um, we try we try and talk about human frailty and like all of our characters are people. Uh, you can you can get as weird as you want. Like you can be a seven legged spider with mm. um, who flickers in and out of reality, but you're still technically a person. <laughs> I think we like that's that at the core of it. It's about people wanting things, um, yeah, like, rather than us trying we, to make a point. We explained the, the incarnatine as a priest of predatory capitalism, and like that is technically what they are. But they're people who have now lost everything because of that. Mm. Like they're not, they're, 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 they're still, they're, they're locked into a loan, essentially. Mm. They have karmic debt. They've done so much wrong in their lives to get so powerful and so rich yeah. that now they're paying for it. And you, you can, you can play them as an asshole if you want, but you can play them as fairly tragic. And what that, what most of their abilities focus around is determining want, um, making, uh, like earning money from unusual sources, some light backstabbing. <laughs> uh, one of the powers is backstab because we needed a rogue class. Yeah. Um, but they are, they're talking about, about buying and selling things, I think. And it's, 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 it's buying and selling things in a frontier sense rather than the cosmopolitan sense. Aspire. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, we've got the dead Walker. Yeah. Who died and it didn't take. Yeah. So they now have their own death spirit following them about. Um and they trick the they trick the various underworlds and and heavens of the various races into believing that they have died and using them as a sort of shortcut. So that's fun. Yeah. Cuz if if there's one thing I like it's um pocket dimensions. And so we just yeah. we just put in a whole class about them. Um, uh, which is back? Yeah, good, which is about um a magical blood disease. Fantastic. Um, they are uh, we've t- We've taken on and expanded those, so witches are now somewhere between fairies and actual real-world witches um, existing in the heart. So they're sort of feared and um, loved and respected. respected. And- yeah, so, there's, so we, we, got to, we get to talk about the sort of the, the culture of heart, and also they get to have spells that you can pull gallons of blood out of people's noses if you don't <laughs> like them. Um, Useful. And like two more, cl- oh, deep apiarists who replaced all their organs with bees. Oh, Okay. That's one. That's that, one. That sounds... Uh, that's, um, they're cool. Remember we mentioned the body horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lest yeah, so we like, forget. Because bees are like iconic of order. 
Mm. Oh, um, and the heart that. in this in this concept is iconic of chaos, yeah. and it's the the interplay between those. We've got the heretic, mm. uh, who is a religious fanatic who was thrown out of spite. Well, his religion was cast down into the heart, um, and they believe they can find the the after the, the true drow afterlife in the heart, and they can. It's the, the Church of the Moon Beneath. Just, yeah. just us, us looking at Bloodborne and going, yeah, we'll have that. <laughs> yeah, the Heretic yeah, we'll is just that. the Bloodborne protagonist. Yeah, if you, if you really like Bloodborne, play a Heretic. They even get a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, they can get a shotgun. We should give them transforming weapons, just really lead into it. <laughs> Make it blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a dodge mechanic. What's we got? Is that it? I think, I think that's it. I think we've got eight classes. If we missed one... Um, uh, that wasn't intentional. Yeah, write it and let us know. <laughs> we also love that class. Oh, we love that class so much. We love it so much. We didn't want it to to get mm-hmm. embarrassed. That's why we didn't. That's why we didn't mention it. <laughs> that's all right. I don't think anyone has ever added me about anything. So you guys should be safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also tell them not to. So that's very good of them. Yeah, I'm I'm very proud. So um, that sounds horrifying and wonderful. Um, you. you, you've mentioned a little bit about playtesting. Did you do most of that sort of remotely having, having people try it and report back to you or, or did you run any playtesting yourself? So I'm in several, like I've literally lost count of how many oh. playtests I'm in now Fantastic. and what stage they're at. Um, but we also did a, a proper open playtest. Um, mm-hmm. people could sign up, get the version of the rules, which is now real different. Was it closed playtest? I don't know. Technically, like, that's closed if you sign up. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was it, like we didn't just put the file basically yeah. on the internet and let people have it. So people subscribe you, you to the mailing list. We made them jump through a hoop. Yeah. We, 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 we made them give us our email, give us their email address. <laughs> Not give them our email Some of them gave them yeah. cracking names. Yeah. Oh, they were great, yeah. Some people really take privacy to the extreme <laughs> and give us some really comedy names in there. Really oh, comedy yeah. names, but then a very easily identifiable email <laughs> address. So jokes on you. <laughs> Mr. Right. You Don't Care About My Name. Mm. Or Mr. Fartstarter. Oh, Mr. Fartstarter. I remember Mr. Fartstarter. He hey, was great. Family name. Yeah. <laughs> of the New England and the New England Fartstarters. <laughs> so we had like, I think we had something in like 800 to 1,000 people oh, sign up to that. Um, and a lot of them filled out the survey. That's and wonderful. They talked at length, like both good and bad mm-hmm. on the community uh, Discord, um, and like one person did this, like if if you just looked at it, it looked like a diatribe of like this is terrible. Like, yeah, I hate but it. when you actually read you it, it, was it was all incredibly useful, incredibly mm. actionable oh, stuff. Good, but it only meant it only mentioned the bits where that they had problems, mm. which is great because I don't want to sit through. A lovely story about you get about the game you had mm-hmm. to get to the bit where you had a problem, yeah. um, and they listed this all out. And like we just we just kind of used that as a baseline for we need to fix this sort of stuff. Mm. And then we took all of the stuff from the from the playtest feedback forms and from our own internal playtesting, and I think fixed everything. I think so. I think that like obviously no game is perfect. Games are just mm. released, but I think like. We so we had the opportunity. We've never had a community before. We've yeah. never had any, mm. any option of leveraging this stuff before. So, like when we released Unbound, uh, which was our game before Spire, uh, which was a generic um, universal uh, role playing system, which is really quite good, and no one's heard of it, which is a shame because <laughs> it's generic and you can't sell it. 
We did that and we did like, we did some playtesting. I think we had like seven playtests or something around that. And like basically I got in touch with people directly who I knew and asked if they were, asked if they were available to test. Um, and with this, uh, Chris said a lot of people uh, responded. I think we got about 35 responses from GMs. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot when you consider we had 800 signups to the playtest, but that is a huge amount of information. Yeah. For, like for someone operating at our scale, like we're not Paizo, we can't afford to write the whole system and have people playtest it for a year and a half and get full feedback and have, you know, sponsor groups and what have you. Mm-hmm. We don't have that kind of, we don't have that kind of infrastructure. We don't have that kind of um, economy of scale. Or money. Or money. But we do have, but we do have this community we can, we, we can leverage now. Yeah. And so, so partially it's about saying, Hey, please get excited about this. Please tell your friends, please play hard. So when, when we, when we have to do the fundraising, you already know what it is. Mm-hmm. But it was really, it was intensely valuable because all the things I thought were problems weren't. Yeah. I was none of them. Yeah. None, like all of my concerns were completely baseless. And, a lot of the things which we just hadn't clocked um, were uh, came up through multiple playtests. But the thing which we noticed most of all, the thing which really, which really uh, affected me, is people liked it, mm. which I was, which I found as really strange. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, oh it's, no, it's, it's awkward. People are suffering from imposter syndrome. Yeah, like every day, people are going, no, I really like this. Once you tweet this, it'd be great. Like mm. what? What? lied to me it wasn't about sexy wizards are you sure you liked it (laughs) there were no bears in it yeah oh there's bears in it (laughs) oh yeah sorry yes there is there is uh, there is at least one bear there you go see that's yeah upside down bears Mm. I think we should talk a little about the art at some yes, point. Yes, please. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask. Uh, Spire yeah. had such beautiful art, and and Hart does too. Is it is this a new artist? Do you have? Yeah. So, so what we what we really like is that we got Adrian Stone for for Spire, mm-hmm. and Ad did Spire so well yeah. that it became the 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 like the the visual imagery of the entire line. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like if we do Spire stuff, it's always got to have at least a cover by a- Adrian Stone. Uh, we, we do have another Spire book in the works, um, and he's which is entirely illustrated by him. Yeah, um, which is very exciting. Um, but AD's style is kind of clean; it's very striking and con- high contrast. Yeah. Uh, so we we put out another call. And we got a load of really interesting, really wonderful artists. Some way out of our price. Oh my days! Yeah. <laughs> Like, hats off to them. Like, you know, make oh, your yeah. money, but not from us. <laughs> and, like, we broke the budget a little bit, getting to getting to Felix Meow. But he's astonishing. Oh, he's so good. Oh, my God. Like, it's, it's Darkest Dungeon via Bloodborne. Yeah. And it's this thick, heavy ink line art. Um, yeah. And it's it, it, every bit of it is grubby. Mm. You know, like, mm-hmm. it feels grimy and downtrodden and broken. And the iconic characters that he's drawn are just stunning. It's been really interesting to work with him as well, because he's he's doing the exact opposite of AD. The AD did uh, very almost abstract characters, like mm. leaving huge gaps in the in the composition where players could insert themselves. Uh, so he also did the work for for Unbound. And there's like there isn't there isn't really a very clearly defined face in Unbound. Everything's really brisk and mm. um and, and loose. Because you look at it and you go, oh, that could be me, or, or that could be my character. Um, 
and that really worked for Spy with this with this with this huge like this huge this game about this huge city with lots of possibilities. And Felix is much more detailed. Felix like has little tchotchkes and gugors all over his characters, um, partially because uh, unlike AD, Felix is a role player. Uh, Felix mm. has yeah. Felix has read the entire book as we've written it and is going through and. Like say, oh, I want to hit these themes with it. I want to, I want to um, address this because I think this is cool, and I want to draw this stuff. And it's been really exciting to have someone who's into role playing and who plays D and D come along with us and build this world. Uh, it's like it's intensely valuable. And another thing that's been wonderful working with Felix is that at no point has he accepted any of our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's important. Like, we've. We've we've given him these like we gave him like this. We think the cover should be this, and he went, "Nah, it should be this." <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, no, you're right. We're, we're fairly sure we know what we're doing here, Felix. We think no, mm-hmm. no. And then he did the cover, and like, oh no, you were right. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. We're forced to doubt you, Felix. But we, oh, it's I, been wonderful. We we really like working with artists. Um, I I think I think we've worked out how to brief them, which is you, t- you tell them you, one, you tell them how the picture should feel, and mm-hmm. two, you are very forgiving. I like yeah. like you're like you're very loose because I think like a lot of a, a lot of commissioned people come with say okay so he's six foot two and he has he has charcoal covered skin and mm. he's got a curved scimitar with a red rib no 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 that it should feel like Bloodborne and Darkest Dungeon are making out at a party and you're watching go <laughs> and like like yeah most of it most of our art briefs are two three sentences mm. like when you see the the Dead Walker art in the book it's like this extremely like exhausted knoll with a skull face mask like holding himself up on the on a great sword mm. and we and the uh description we gave felix for that was knoll dead walker um has the ability to go through different afterlives big sword. Go. oh yeah big sword <laughs> we, told him we, 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 big we sword specifically and... asked for big sword and aside from that he was like okay cool and clearly he's done research which is anathema to us yeah. <laughs> oh, I refused. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Just you, you can spend literally hours studying mm. a topic. I found out. Mm. Yeah, some of us do that. Yeah. Look, look. That's look, we we, all, we have different roles. We have different roles in the business, Chris. You 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 get the ideas, and I make them legible. Mm. <laughs> that is fair. It's, it's a good plan. Mm. Excellent. So hopefully we can take a look at some some more of this art because this is an audio medium um, on the Kickstarter. Which mm. when mm. when is this? When is Kickstarter? Kickstarter. September seventeenth. Kickstarter mm-hmm. is September seventeenth. God willing. Okay. Mm. Uh, assuming everything has gone right, so I don't know whether this is before, after, or during the this release of this podcast. Will hopefully, be the nineteenth. Okay. So, so hopefully we're already funded and living on our third or fourth yacht. Yes, I, I'm. I'm. Um, I've got my unlikely. smaller yacht on my bigger yacht. I, we don't have a URL yet because this is the past. Mm-hmm. If you go to if you go to my Twitter, probably the easiest way to go. You go to Twitter. Or RRD Games. Oh yeah, yes. Go to RR, rrdgames.com. And there'll be a link to the Kickstarter on top of that. So that 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 goes to our our professional website where all our games are. You can get you can get the Kickstarter from there. You can also get every other game we've written, many of which are free. Yay! Mm. Which is nice. Cool. We'll, we'll we do like free. We'll have that link. We'll have the the Kickstarter link. We'll have stuff in the show notes on the website, and and we'll we'll share it on Twitter too. Um, I should also say if you like fancy books, you're gonna love this Kickstarter. Yeah, tell us. Oh hell. We've what? gone all out. Are there pages? 
Sorry, <laughs> page, there's pages, there's covers, there's page. Oh, we got numbers. so many pages. Mm. And, and you know what? We're, we're printing on both sides of them as well. Oh Come my on. god! I know, right? No, we've got uh, so like we, we did we did special editions of Spire, which which had alternate covers and printed end papers, and that was cool. Whatever. Um, for this one, I think uh, so. Uh, the the third part of our business, Mary Hamilton, very much decided to go hog wild. <laughs> With yeah. that, because, because like we we believe that Heart has the capacity to do pretty well. Actually, we believe mm-hmm. that it's quite exciting and should be quite good. We think it's a bit more. It's got a bit more of a of a broader appeal than our previous games. And so, we're like, let's if people want to throw money at us with some sort of catapult, let's let them. So we have standard edition, we have limited edition, which mm-hmm. is a, a quarter bound in in leather, and the rest is bound in cloth and all sort of embossed on the cover. Mm-hmm. And then we have obscene luxury edition which are being hand bound by a a, a company called Wiven Bookbinders what yes so they're the, they're the people that made all of the books for the Harry Potter films oh so we're having 15 yeah. of these made with just this like absurd, it's just absurd hyper luxury if if you if you've got too much money yeah and you're like and and you're like, I, could go, I guess I could buy three copies of all the D&D books, or I could have one better book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come along for the heart Kickstarter. <laughs> I mean, the main reason we're doing that insane stretch goal is so that I get a copy of this book mm. very fancy. Ah, yeah, I like the is, way you think. That is, and, and, like, and we can price that into a Kickstarter so it won't bankrupt us. <laughs> Brilliant. But no, we are doing lots of very exciting things. Like you can do things like, uh, so the safe places, safer places in the heart are known as havens. Um, and there's spots where you can get Felix to help illustrate a haven. You can adopt um, an adversary. Where, you can adopt an adversary. We haven't even talked about those. Yeah. No, they're, well, they're monsters. Well, <laughs> as the th- every monster is uh, hateful and pathetic. Good. I think that's the, the we, we we want you to feel sorry, but kind of thankful that you were killing them. Right, we didn't want any 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 goblins in the game. Any like, oh, we'll just slay a couple of goblins. Mm-hmm. No, no, like easy kills, is it? No like, easy like, every, Yeah, yeah. Everything is brutally sad in some way. <laughs> Good. Like it's pitiable, and you be like, it might be grotesque, but there's still that element of ah, should we kill it or not? Can we make yeah. friends with it? <laughs> can you can uh, it love oh yeah okay. oh yeah sure uh so yes please back some kickstarter um or alternatively uh just just go along to the website and have a look at our games because yeah. if you're not into body crawl dungeon horror first off congrats for listening to this long uh for a podcast that's been all about it right yeah but uh there's also like there's, there's lots of fun games you can download and as i said yeah. most of them are free so take a look they're very good uh, is there anything else that you'd like us to know about heart? We could be very earnest about it. I hear Americans like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I guess we're into that now. Yeah. I'm, now I'm, I'm, this is, this is going to sound a bit weird. I'm actually really proud of it. I'm actually really proud of what we've done. We've built something that is, I, I believe is beautiful. I believe that has the capacity to tell some really cool stories and re-examines fantasy tropes in a way we did with Spire and moves on, uh, and gives and gives hopefully injects some some new life uh, mm. into what is an oversaturated medium. And I'm really yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, in a yeah, way I that think, go on. I I I think I, I I mean I agree with you there, Grant. But like, especially in 
contrast to how we felt when we were putting out the Kickstarter for Spire, which oh. was nothing but abject fear. Rampant terror. <laughs> um, like, is anybody going to buy this if we just wasted all these years? What's going on here? <laughs> what, um, no, whereas the level of, there's a level of confidence in heart that, like, no, actually, this is good. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the work I've done. I really hope everybody else sees that mm-hmm. rather than like, please, look, I'm so frightened. And I do want you to know any Americans listening, uh, what we just did was very unusual and <laughs> took it. I need to go and lie down because I was honest about my own achievements. I'm going to have to go and lie down in a dark room for like half an hour now and maybe drink a cup of tea before I can be suitably self-deprecating. <laughs> That's fair. And I did like it. Damn. So, yeah. uh, yeah, <laughs> where can heroes find you guys online? I am at GS Howitt on Twitter, G-S-H-O-W-I-T-T. Yeah, that's the quickest way to follow us for, honestly, any information. Yeah. Because it flies out of Grant's Twitter <laughs> at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. Also, um, otherwise, like- is our website mm-hmm. with various random articles on there, including some little little articles that might help you in any RPG. Oh, yeah, we've got the Glimmers and Remnants on there. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris and I tried to write a uh, we tried to write two settings uh, solely using random tables. <laughs> Uh, which okay. we got pretty far in. We got pretty far into it, discovering that it was a lot of work to do for free, so we stopped. <laughs> but there's, I think there's about fifteen or twenty for each. Like there's fifteen fantasy and fifteen um, like urban, urban fantasy, urban horror. Nice. Uh, of course, there's free games, there's paid games, there's support for games, there's an easy way to contact us. Yeah, all of it's on our games.com. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you both so much. This was this was great. Yeah. Thank you for having us. It's it's it it a genuine pleasure. You uh, you are a rarity amongst um amongst interviewers in this in the in, in the podcast medium in that you listen to what we say and ask us questions based on that, which is really nice. Thank you. I it's I try. It is kind You're of really hard. Good, isn't it? But thank you. You're great. Keep doing it. It's great. Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, everyone else. Up your fucking game. <laughs> Get on her level. Thank you. Now I have to go. (laughs) Huge thanks again to Grant and Chris for being on the show again, and for the several murders they did at me within just the one hour. Please check out Heart and its beautiful art on Kickstarter. That's all for this week, heroes. Follow Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games, except the games are terrible and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hotwing. Don't even at them. Find their shows at SystemMasteryPodcast.com. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit oneshotpodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>